Well, good morning, everybody. Um, it's great to be here in, in a virtual way uh, uh, this morning. And I'm really looking forward to being with you face to face from next week. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited by that. I'm also excited about digging into the book of Job, uh, which Pastor Dom kicked us off with last week. Um, and uh, the book of Job's a great book. Uh, it's a difficult book, but one that richly rewards the effort that we put into trying to understand it. So as we come to God's word today, uh, together for God's help, ask for God's help. Father God, thank you for this book. Uh, thank you for chapter three that we're going to look at today. Um, Father, we acknowledge that the book of Job isn't easy to understand. Uh, and so we ask for your spirit to help us. Um, to guide us, to give us wisdom. And we ask that you would speak to us today through it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stop all the clocks. Cut off the telephone. Prevent the dog from barking with the juicy bone. Silence the pianos and with muffled drum. Bring out the coffin. Let the mourners come. The stars are not wanted now. Put out every one. Pack up the moon. Dismantle the sun. Pour away the ocean. Sweep up the wood. For nothing can ever come to any good. That's from a poem by W.H. Alden called Funeral Blues. It's expressing the pain and grief of when a loved one dies. But there's another level of loss that comes through in the poem, and that's the loss of meaning. When a spouse or a close friend or a parent dies, it's that sense that nothing matters anymore. The stars no longer bring a sense of delight and wonder when we look up into the night sky. The moon and the sun might as well pack up and go home. Nothing matters anymore. Well, it's that kind of loss that Job is dealing with in our passage this morning in chapter 3. He has been undone by the death of all seven of his children, along with all his property and wealth, everything that made him the greatest man in the East that we saw in chapter 1. But not only is he dealing with personal tragedy on an almost unimaginable scale, Job is also in turmoil from a loss of meaning. You see, for him, the loss of God's blessings actually signals the loss of God himself. Suddenly, the whole foundation, the rock, that his life is built upon the love and blessings of God, the creator, Job's protector and friend. Suddenly that foundation has crumbled and, and disappeared before his eyes. And that's what makes Job's cries so desperate and so moving. Well, let's dive into Job chapter 3. I've got three points uh, that follow the flow of the chapter. The first point is that Job starts off by cursing his birth. 
Notice that the chapter begins in verse 1 with Job opening his mouth and cursing the day of his birth. Straight away we've got a tension set up and a powerful conflict, sorry, and a potential conflict from the end of chapter 2. If you remember last week with, with Pastor Dom, Job's wife told him to curse Job, to curse God and die so that his suffering would end. But Job refused, didn't he? Chapter 2 verse 10 said, In all this Job did not sin in what he said. Job refused to curse God. His mouth did not lead him to sin. Then in chapter 3 he opens his mouth again and he curses. After this Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Now crucially he didn't curse God. He curses the day of his birth. But still we're left wondering, is Job crossing the line here? Is he now going to sin with his mouth? Well, Job goes on. He calls on that day he was born to perish, verse 3. And then in the next seven verses, he cries out for the impossible. He cries out for his birthday to be wiped out of the calendar. He wants the light of that day to become darkness. Look with me at verse 4. That day may it become darkness. Verse 5. May darkness and deep shadow claim it once more. Verse 6. That night. The ordinary darkness of night isn't enough for Job. That night may thick darkness seize it. Verse 9. May its morning stars become dark. You see, Job wants to undo the light and bring darkness. He wants to undo his life and bring nothingness. Do you notice what sort of picture is being painted here? It's an undoing, isn't it? It's a reversal. A reversal of something that we saw back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1. Very familiar words to us. Remember when God said, let there be light, where he brought light out of darkness. He brought life out of nothingness. You see, Job's curse is an attempt to wind back the clock and undo creation so that his day of birth would never happen. To go from light to darkness, from life to nothingness. I don't know if you've ever experienced grief or pain that's so overwhelming that you, you want to escape from the world. When you're wanting to shut out other people, work, responsibilities, everything outside of yourself, all you want to do is curl up into a ball and retreat, escape. Well, that's what Job wanted. In fact, he wanted to disappear completely. He wanted his world to collapse in on itself he wanted to undo his existence. So Job curses the day of his birth. He cries out for an undoing of his creation. And then in the second half of the chapter, starting in verse 11, Job seems to lift his head up to move from talking to himself or perhaps to his friends to cry out to God or the heavens or whoever will listen. 
And he cries out with a series of questions that are our, that are our second point. Questions that are really asking, why God? Why was I born? Why am I here? Have a look with me at these why questions. Verse 11. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Verse 12. Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? Verse 16. Why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? Verse 20, why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? Verse 23, why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Friends, can you feel Job's pain here? It's a desperate cry of frustration, isn't it? of how pointless his life seems to be when all there is to look forward to is darkness and pain. It's a cry that comes from a loss of meaning. And the heart of the issue is what he says in verse 20. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? Where is the meaning in the gift of life being given to someone who's a lie, who lives a life of suffering and for job we know that just a week ago life was sweet wasn't it he was hugely blessed by god a loving family more wealth than he could count job's asking what is the point of having all that when it's suddenly snatched away from you just like that in the first half of chapter three it's as if job was curled up in the fetal position buried under the doona unable to face the world, wanting to die. But now he's realised that's not going to happen. He's still alive. Somehow he has to go on. And so somehow he has to make sense of what's happened to him. These cries are a desperate plea for answers. Job is a man in pain. And when we're in pain, we, we often don't think straight, do we? Logic and clear thinking go out the window sometimes. And we can see that in Job's words. He looks longingly to the grave as the answer to his troubles. Almost like we might dream about being on our next holiday at the beach. Have a look at verse 13. If I had died at birth... Job said, now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and rulers of the earth. And the grave is a place of rest, says Job. Verse 17. For in the grave there the wicked cease from turmoil and there the weary are at rest. He identifies with those who long for death. Verse 21. Who search for it more than for hidden treasure. And verse 22. Those who are filled with gladness 
and rejoice when they reach the grave. So Job thinks death is better than life. You see, for Job, it's not just a place of nothingness, a a, a place where where his suffering comes to an end, but he actually describes it as a place of joy, doesn't he? Strange words, discomforting words. Especially strange words for a man in Job's world. Keep in mind that in Job's world, they didn't have the same hope that we do in eternal life. In resurrection. You see, for people of Job's time, death was the great unknown. It was much more a place of fear than of hope. But Job is speaking from his pain. He's speaking from a heart that's in turmoil, from a man whose perspective is skewed. I wonder if you've ever experienced that when your perspective becomes skewed when you can't see straight because of pain, where the normal ups and downs of life collapse into a dark, never-ending valley, where the darkness becomes impenetrable. William Cowper was a man who knew that. He was a great Christian poet and hymn writer. His mother died when he was six. Fifty-three years later, he wrote a moving poem showing that his grief for his mother was still there. He was sent to boarding school by his father and was savagely bullied. After a two-year engagement, his fiancée's father refused to let them marry. When he was 31, three times he tried to take his own life. He was committed to a psychiatric hospital. He wrote, Day and night I was upon the rack, lying down in horror, and rising in despair. Now Cowper became a Christian while in the hospital and had a wonderful conversion. But despite that, he continued to struggle with depression. One of the last things he said before his death was, I feel unutterable despair. I feel unutterable despair. C.S. Lewis, the great 20th century Christian writer, also knew the depths of pain that skews our perspective. When his wife Joy Davidman died, he said this about his experience of prayer. Go to God when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. The feeling of life kicking us in the teeth and then why we're still down, being smashed with an iron rod. That's what's going on for Job. For Job, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no prospect of rest for him in this life. His foundations have collapsed around him. He's in crisis, not just from the loss alone, but he's in a spiritual crisis And the only way out that he can see is through death. Our third point. There's no rest and no peace for Job because not only has he lost his possessions, not only has he lost his children, but Job believes he has also lost his God. 
We don't really see it here in chapter 3, but as the book goes on, we see Job longing to get an answer from God. He feels like God has covered his ears and his prayers are bouncing off the roof. And Job is desperate to restore that intimacy and blessing of knowing God's love and walking with him. But what we do see here in chapter 3 are the raw, honest prayers of a man who is desperate to hear from God. The cries of this lament may just seem like, um, like a shout of anguish that goes out into thin air, but they really are a prayer. Because only God can answer Job's cries. Only God can show Job how to make sense of what seems in every way senseless. The senselessness of violent death. The senselessness of being blessed only to have it snatched away. In verse 12, Job asks, Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? He just can't make sense of the care and kindness God showed him only to cast him aside and abandon him. He's grieving the loss of, of the God he loved and trusted. It's almost as if this is a desperate cry for some tiny skerrick of evidence that God still loves him. But as it is, Job says in verse 25, What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Verse 26, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. What is it that Job feared? He feared a loss of all he had, didn't he? Remember back in chapter 1, he would regularly make sacrifices for each of his children, just in case they'd sinned. He feared the possibility of them being cut off from God and losing them. Now he has lost them. And his possessions. And his health. But in his mind, he has also lost God. You see, Job's world was the world of the book of Proverbs. A world where those who are righteous, those who are close to God and walk with him, are blessed with good things. They are blessed with riches, health, happiness. In chapter 1, we saw that Job was wealthier than anyone else in the East. He was the Mark Zuckerberg of the land of Uz. He was the Bill Gates of the East. And for Job, the blessings and the relationship with God were one in the same. You couldn't, couldn't separate them. You couldn't have one without the other. The thousands of sheep and camels, seven loving children, they were all a sign of God's love and the closeness of the relationship that Job had with God. And lose those blessings and it was a sign that you'd lost God as well. What Job dreaded the most had happened to him. And so the result was that he had no peace, but only turmoil. Job's turmoil was a spiritual turmoil. 
Of course, there was a level of pain that we really can't even begin to imagine at losing all seven of his children. But for Joe, there was a spiritual crisis that was even harder to deal with. His whole way of making sense of the world had been shattered. His belief in a good God who treated him with kindness and generosity had collapsed. You see, for Job, there was no question that God was behind everything that happened to him. And if he blessed him so abundantly, only to snatch it cruelly away in an instant, well, where's the sense in that? Where's the love in that? How can Job possibly continue to find meaning in a world controlled by a God like that? Viktor Frankl was a survivor of the Nazi Holocaust who survived the Auschwitz death death camp. He was also a famous psychiatrist and author. Reflecting on his experiences after the end of the war, he wrote that life is never unbearable by circumstances, but only by a lack of meaning and purpose. When Julie and I lost our son, Owen, in February 2005, when he was 19 months old, there were times when the darkness was almost unbearable. And it was because these times were the times when it wasn't just a sense of emptiness and loss from losing our son. Like Job, I felt like I'd lost God. You see, in my pain, I felt like C.S. Lewis. I felt like God wasn't loving, but cruel. My perspective had become skewed. He was, I was a missionary serving overseas at the time, but, but for those moments, my foundation, everything I'd invested in, my life, it all fell apart. I was in spiritual turmoil, like Job. And on that cheery note, that's where chapter 3 ends. For Job, there's, there's no silver lining. Just Job in turmoil, in pain, alone. Remember, his three friends are with him, but for seven whole days, I haven't said a word. Job feels utterly alone. Much of these words are troubling, uncomfortable words, and yet here they are, all 42 chapters of of this book. It's part of God's word. And so what on earth are we to do with it? Does Job chapter 3, what does Job chapter 3 have to say to us? Well, it does have something to say. Job chapter 3 tells us that angry, raw, honest, embarrassing, troubling words are allowed a voice in God's word. In some ways, Job comes alive in chapter 3. In chapters 1 and 2, remember we're given quite a two-dimensional picture of the righteous man, Job, who responds amazingly to his suffering. But in chapter 3, Job takes on flesh and blood. One Australian theologian, Francis Anderson, has said that God's testing of Job is not to find out if Job can sit unmoved like a piece of wood. Because that's almost the picture we have in chapters 1 and 2. But now in chapter 3, Job is very definitely human. 
And he speaks words that you and I might speak. Maybe that we have spoken. Job speaks for every believer that suffers. He cries the why God, why have you allowed this that I cried out to God? Perhaps you have cried, why God, did you, did you give me hope only to snatch it away? Why did my mother die? Why did that relationship end? Why am I struggling day after day with depression? Why God, do you rob me of joy? You see, Job's words give voice to our words. His words are the real, raw, honest expression of a living, real relationship with God. And that's why God doesn't despise them. We'll see as the book goes on that his friends, his prim, proper, theologically correct friends, they can't handle the impolite and embarrassing things that pour out of Job's mouth. But God can. For Job to say that he wants to curse his birth is pretty confronting, isn't it? But God's not fazed by it. Job shows by his words that he is absolutely real with God. He calls a spade a spade. And isn't that what God wants from us too? Doesn't God want us to be real, to be authentic? You see, often in Christian circles, we want to make sure that we say the right things. Oh yes, it was really hard losing my dad, but I'm feeling God's strength. When what we really want to say is, I don't know how I'm going to keep going. I feel like God hates me. God's people of all people ought to be able to say the hard things. Things as they really are. And Job chapter 3 gives us a model, gives us permission to do that. And God's people of all people ought to be able to let people ask the why questions and to speak out in their pain. Finally, Job chapter 3 is a word for us because these cries of why have echoed down through the ages. Many hundreds of years after Job, another man cried out, why, why God? Like Job, he was rejected by his friends, scorned by his enemies, a man even more righteous and innocent than Job. On that cruel cross, he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Shocking words, troubling words, words that show that the Son of God himself shared in Job's pain. He knows our pain. He cries out raw, honest words with us. And so you can know that when we cry out like Job, God is there too. A God who knows and understands and hears human pain. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that God himself cried out why, echoing the words of Job. Father, that tells us that God himself, you, stand with us when we suffer, when we are in pain. Father, you did not despise words, raw words of lament. Lament. 
you did not despise Job's words and you don't despise our words. Father, may we take comfort that you are a God who longs for real, authentic relationship. And we thank you that we have seen that most authentically through your son Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, we've got some questions uh, that will be coming up on the screen that you might like to discuss in your small groups. And uh, I hope that Job chapter 3 uh, has been a helpful word that has spoken to you.